As we come today, uh, I don't know if you were here last week, I've had one of the best weeks, I think, in being a pastor at Grace Point Church. Uh, just starting off from last week and what we experienced. Um, if you weren't here, you missed it, sorry. Uh, in fact, turn to the person next to you and say, if you miss, you miss out. Say it right now. All right? You miss, you miss out. We had $10,000 across the stage here last week, and you missed it, and sorry. Uh, but every Sunday, I hope that that is, that is true, is that if you aren't here, you regret the fact that you weren't here because of something that God does or something uh, God speaks into your life. But last week, uh, if you've been following us on Facebook, if you don't, shame on you. It's not a marketing scheme. It just helps our community stay virtual at least uh, during, uh, during, the, during the week. But uh, we have been sharing story after story after story. I just posted before coming out here the, the latest report. There's just constant reports coming in of where we've taken this, this money and we have poured it back into the community as a blessing. And you all have been the ministers in the Grace Point uh, ethos and in our, in our, in our beliefs. You are the ministers. And we've given you $10, $10 and it's simple, not much. I mean, what can you do with 10 bucks? But you guys have done amazing and beautiful things in touching people's lives. And so if you didn't, some people turned in their car that uh, didn't fill them out online. If you fill them out online, we'll obviously get it posted a little faster. We're not doing this to blow smoke and to f- blow ourselves up in any sense of the word. In fact, we're not giving anybody's names. None of that information is out there. We're just showing how you are doing amazing things in blessing our community and giving other people ideas and creating this multiplying effect. I want to share just two of you. There are actually two of the first ones that came in uh, in this process, came in online last week. One was from Sarah. Let me read Sarah's um, to you. A close friend recently spent some time in jail and commented that there were not any good books inside the jail. So my mom and I pulled our money and went to Goodwill to buy books. With $20, we were able to purchase 35 books. Some Christian, ranging from the Bible, The Purpose Driven Life, as well as non-Christian books. Uh, we, we then wrote in each of the books a gift from Grace Point Church and donated uh, our books to the Washington County Jail uh, uh, for the inmates to read. So if you get busted in the next month or so, make sure it's in Benton County or Washington County, and uh, you'll have some good reading in there. But no, isn't it beautiful to think about the people that have obviously made some not-so-good decisions, uh, processes in that, that they're going to have some great material. And again, it's just a, it's just a mother and a daughter pulling their money and, and doing a beautiful uh, act and blessing people that hopefully their lives will be changed through the process. I think less through the bars and more through the Bible uh, that as they get into the Word uh, and, and experience Christ. Here's another one. Mary and Mike wrote this one, sent it in last Sunday afternoon. Two of us were at church today and received $20. With that, we bought toilet paper for a widow friend which she had to, uh, which, uh, told us she needed yesterday at Sam's Club and a dinner. She didn't expect us today. She was thrilled when we came uh, to see her. And while Sarah and I visited with her, my husband climbed on the roof and retarded it and fixed a leak. She, was, uh, she has lost faith in churches. So when, she, so when we told her that we were asked by our church to bless someone, she softened. It meant the most 
for her uh, to have someone to talk with today and, and to feel cared for. What a beautiful story. Who would have guessed that toilet paper would be such a blessing? But it was an avenue of a conversation, of a blessing, of a person. And we have said from the beginning of Grace Point that we are here, a church for the unchurched. We're a church for those who've given up on God, but haven't given up, uh, excuse me, who've given up on the church, but haven't given up on God. We're hopefully a church that they can reconnect with. And literally, Mike and Mary were a part of that process. I should include Sarah in that. We're a part of that process of connecting a dot, softening a heart, and showing how the church can be a blessing in the community. This is just a small example. $10 is all it was. $10 that we, that you took and you shared and you blessed and so forth. That's two lattes in a week. And just think about it. If we, as a church, would really adhere and really soak in and let become a part of us what we have been talking about now for two months, that it would truly could change Northwest Arkansas. We have said, and I've said it again and again, and this week is one small sliver of an example of that, that the best way to bless a community is to start a church. It's the only organization that will bless a community, body, soul, and spirit. And so if we fin- as we finish this series today uh, from the book of Acts, I want us to just hit three bullet point highlights that these things are absolutely, take them home, memorize them, hopefully they'll become a part of you. And this is what this series has said throughout. One is that the church is God's plan A. I think there are a lot of great plan B's out there, C's, D's, and F's. But really, if you want to get to God's plan A, He called it the church. He identified it the church. He said he would build his church and hell wouldn't stop it. It's his plan A. Number two is that the church is a movement of God. And we have seen that just this week. We have seen the movement, you individually, charged, challenged, empowered, and sent you all becoming that very movement of God. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And that's what we are about. We are an unstoppable force when we are the church of Jesus Christ. Again, I take you back to what we said in the very first message that hell will not stop us. The third reality, the third thing we must take to heart is that we cannot buy, set by and wait for the world to come to us. We must go to the world. That may, it was made very clear in the scriptures, and it's very clear even today. You'll see it again and throughout the book of Acts. But the problem is, is churches, and I, we started this series when we moved into this building, if you remember. When we moved into this building, my fear is that we would make it about this building and make our church about this building and that building and the remodel and all that. It's not. It's absolutely not about the building. 1975, a book was written by Howard Snyder called The Problem of Wineskins. Truly a book written before its time, probably out of print today. But he talks about the church building in 1975, about how the church building is confining and restraining and it creates class and divisions and price elements, all, all that when it becomes about the building. But what the church is to be is a movement. And that's what I've been sharing for weeks now. And then he makes this statement in the book. He says, the gospel says go, but our church buildings say stay. The gospel says seek the lost, but the churches say let the lost 
seek the church. We don't need to be about making this building the church. You are the church. When you leave this room today, you will still be the church. Your family is the church. You are just in fellowship if you claim Grace Point as your faith family. You're just in this fellowship called Grace Point Church. But hopefully what we can do as a body is more than we can do as an individual. And so hopefully we can come together, but yet go out into this world making a difference. Now, we have been in Acts. You read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a number of weeks back, our second message in the series. He gives us the scope and the sequence of our mission. We talked about that, refreshed that last week. We're to go to the ends of the earth. We're to start in Jerusalem. We're to go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. All right? That's... That's our scope. That's where we're supposed to be about, Acts 1.8. It didn't actually happen in this narrative, this historical narrative, until chapter 8, verse 1. All right? So just invert those numbers. Acts 1.8 tells us to go. Acts 8.1, it doesn't really truly happen into the ends of the earth, start happening until the chapter 8. Now, that was the first example of a cross-cultural missionary when Philip goes into Samaria, though we know he has a home in Caesarea, uh, we, we know he didn't, we know that he goes into Samaria and he does the work of an evangelist there. It was a time whenever the church faced persecution. Now that persecution began to, to spread the church out and literally last week it, he mentions the word twice, scattering the church. Like sowing seed, they were scattered the church out into the communities, out way beyond uh, the local areas. Uh, they went way beyond that. Now, you think when persecution comes, Paul, Saul comes in, starts beating up people, dragging them off, putting them in jail. It's a very, very unhealthy look at what was going on, a persecution in the church. You'd think that that would kill it, right? I mean, if I start getting beaten, the first thing I'm going to do is cry mercy. Uh, but here's a situation where it actually, it actually expedites, it actually speeds up a process that God put in place of getting the Gospels to the ends of the earth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, and Dietrich, you understand who he is, he's a World War II individual who goes back to Nazi Germany, leaves free America, goes back to Nazi Germany whenever Nazism is persecuting the church, if you did not align with uh, the SS. And he goes back and he says this about persecution. Persecution is the seedbed of the church. You go to China and you study China and, uh, and the history of China and how China has seen its greatest church growth under communism, under communism and the persecution of the church. So let's just wake up to reality. Persecution can be good. Good things can happen. I mentioned last week that we in our society are facing a day of social persecution. When you can be isolated and when you can be outcast and you can be separated, if you start living out and sharing your faith, that can be a good thing. Good things can come from that. In fact, you look in church history, even though we're studying from the book of Acts, uh, Acts is really Luke's and Paul's accounts. Okay, it's really kind of that narrative. Uh, we believe that Luke was actually a believer, became a believer from the city of Antioch, which we're going to be talking about Antioch. And so he begins to, to record this church history as he lays it out there before us. But there was a work of God. This movement was happening throughout. I want you to throw that, this next map up just to show you what was going on from Jerusalem and that persecution that came as we talked about it last week. What happens is you find the, the church going everywhere. 
They were not just staying in Jerusalem. They were not just going up to Antioch. They were going everywhere. You look on that map, you'll find Matthias down in northeast Africa. Mark takes the gospel back to e- takes the gospel to Egypt. Simon the Zealot goes uh, goes out east towards modern day Iraq and Iran. Thomas takes the gospel to India. I mean, you talk about cross cultural. You talk about going the open seas. That's that's way long before uh, that was ever truly developed. Andrew was one of the first disciples they believe in history to take the gospel up into Russia and then back down into some of the Soviet bloc nations. Then James went to Spain and Joseph went as far as to South Wales as we would know it today. And he takes the gospel and he in AD 42, they believe, leads a king and becomes the first world leader in that day and age to accept Christ. You think, Mike, why are you sharing the history lesson today? All right, it's important. Persecution comes. The gospel spreads. The church is God's plan A to the nations, to the ends of the earth. That has been his plan from day one of the church to what we're supposed to be about as he calls us to the ends of the earth. So if you have your Bibles, uh, look at Acts chapter 11. And I want to read a passage real quickly, just a few verses to kind of give the, the, some, some background. Now, those who were scattered, key word there, it's the, it's the Greek word dispero, which is where we get the word disperse. Now you can just hear it. They were scattered. They were dispersed. They went out. It's also in the passive voice, which just is to say this. They didn't do it by choice. They weren't, hey, you know, I'm going to move up to New- South Wales. Hey, I'm going to move over to Spain. No, they did that because they were running for their life. It was a passive activity that they had to do. Um, in that sense. Okay, so it goes on. It says, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen had traveled to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And they only listed three there, but they went so many other places. Speaking the word of God to no one except the Jews. Now, this is just kind of a problem that's going on right now. They're still just to the Jews. They're not really crossing over all the cultural barriers. But then you notice what happens in verse 20. Very key thing here. We don't know who these missionaries are. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. This is a different place, okay? They're coming from Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch and spoke to the Hellenists. Those were the the non-Jews, the Greeks of of that town. Also preaching the word of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So this movement was so great. Now listen to this. This is before emails, faxes, or any other fast form of communication. This is before organized snail mail. But 300 miles north of Jerusalem is the, in modern day Turkey is on the Syrian border is a town called Antioch. About a half a million people are living in this town. It was one of the free towns of the Roman Empire. But the news of the great workings of God in this church traveled, trickled back down south to the city of Jerusalem and reached the ears of the church fathers. They said, hey, listen, we want to know more what's going on in Antioch. We want to verify it, but we also want to stoke the fire and fan the flame that's going on. And so they send up a guy named Barnabas. The rest of my message, I want to talk about Barnabas. 
And what Barnabas leads that church at Antioch to do and to be about and what, how he leads them is going to be important for you and me into establishing what I want as the final message in this series, this church to be. What Barnabas does in the church of Antioch, I want to do in the church called Grace Point, And I want you to help me do it. And so you can see the connection there. And so I want to peel back some of these layers and look at Barnabas, who is a very important person in all of church history, but he gets very little play. And we'll have time to give a biography on him. So let me just leave it at that. And let me just talk about four elements to what I see Barnabas leads this church in Antioch, this, this first non-dominant Jewish church, this first cross-cultural church, what he leads them to be. And so hopefully it's hopefully what we can gain from that. Hopefully these things mark us. One of those elements should mark us is encouragement. Sounds pretty simple, right? We all need encouragement. You need encouragement. I need encouragement. We want our BFFs to be our encouragers. We need to encourage our BFFs. All right, that, that's just that's just a natural thing in life. We need people that will say to us not only what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. Now, and if we have that that relationship equity with them, when when my best friend or when my encourager speaks truth into my life, I'm going to accept it because there's a re- relationship equity. Well. Barnabas was a man who wasn't originally named Barnabas. Actually, his original name, his birth name was Joseph. But he was nicknamed Barnabas. You know what Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. This man's character so marked him, he was known as the encourager of the church. And because of that, we see some of the greatest leaders, some of the greatest authors of the New Testament, John Mark and the Apostle Paul, being influenced by this man, Barnabas. And what's the first thing that Barnabas does when he reaches the church at Antioch? Verse 22. And the report came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them. Now, just don't blow past that. That word exhorted them is a very important phrase. Parakaleo is the Greek word, which just basically means to console, to encourage to walk along beside. It's the same word that we get the word paraclete from, that we get the word Holy, that the Holy Spirit is referred to as our counselor, our, our paraclete, our, our one who walks along beside. This is who an encourager is. We are acting like the Holy Spirit of God when we step into people's lives as sources, bright spots of encouragement. We need to be that. To one another. That is what the church is to be in this community. That's exactly what he does, Barnabas does, as he exhorts them. He, he, he paracolicos uh, them. He, he encourages them. He consoles them. That's what happened this past week when you had 10 bucks. And the person whose, whose boss is suffering from cancer and they bought flowers for them. You walked along beside them and you consoled them. That's what happened whenever the person who bought 
who bought clothes for the foster children and bed sheets for the foster children. That's what you're doing when you're walking along beside someone and you encourage them. You all did this. It wasn't a program. It wasn't we said you go do this and this will happen. You just opened your eyes, opened your heart, made yourself available, and you walked along beside people and encouraged them. That's what we're called to do. That's what Barnabas, the very first thing that we find Barnabas doing when he sets foot in the church at Antioch is he exhorts, he encourages, he consoles, he brings life and hope to them. Why should you find a church home and be in that church family? Be a part, invest in that church family because you hopefully by God's grace will find encouragement there. And you will also find an opportunity to encourage others there. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not staying away from our worship meetings, what we're doing right here, as some habitually do. I'll let you define yourself if that's you. But encouraging each other in all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouragement should mark us, should be a part of us. You've heard me say this. If you've been a part of our North Point new members class, If you join Grace Point Church, but you don't become a part of a body life group, we just realize that you're probably going to be a short-termer here at Grace Point. And why do I say that? It's not based on, although 12 years into this gig, I can certainly say we've got enough, we've got enough circumstantial experiences that we've gone through that we can certainly say that this is true. But there's a study that I refer to that, that, that shows that if a person joins any church, not just Grace Point, but any church, And they join that church, and if they don't have seven people that they can call friends in the first six months, that they're very likely they're going to leave the church. They won't come back. Something will happen in their life, some tragedy, some horrible event will happen, and they won't have anybody who will walk with them, who will be their side soulmate walk with them, encourage them, console them, and they'll leave. And that's a sad tale. That's why I'm saying, listen, if you want to make it in this shaky, crazy world, you're going to need encouragers in your life. Where do you find encouragers? By God's grace, you'll find them in the church. In fact, I'll say this, as I want to introduce you to Monty and Shelly Moore, some friends that Lori and I have known since high school. We were high school friends with them. But they were out of church for 12 years. And they came back recently to Grace Point And they got into a body life group. And this is their story. It all started actually with us wanting to um, just find a new church. We kind of knew we wanted to make some changes in our life. And so we knew Mike and Lori from high school. So Shelly had heard about Grace Point. So we went to Grace Point. Um, actually just kind of fell in love with Grace Point, but we needed something a little bit more. We uh, felt like some of the other people that you had videoed before said that you kind of come to church and then you leave. And we were just missing that connection. And uh, so actually there was one that had just opened up in our neighborhood. Uh, Paul and Lorraine Hunt had opened that body life group. And so I just kept keying off of one of the other videos that uh, the couple up there said they were a little skeptical, a little uh, afraid to try it, if you will. Um, But at the end of the day, they were glad they did because they just kind of fell in love with all the people that were there. So we did that, and this exact same thing happened to us. We just really love our group. We love Paul and Lorraine. Um, 
Scott and Rebecca Christians, uh, Christian Center in there, and uh, it just really gives us a tangible kind of part of the church. It's the connection. Um, you know, we had a traumatic accident with our son um, back in December, and um, we were just enveloped with love from Paul and Lorraine and Scott and Rebecca and just so many people in the church who reached out to us and um, wrapped their arms around us and wanted to know what they could do to help and were offering prayers and, and that's what it's all about and it, it started with our body life group um, because we had the connection and um, it's not just because we went on Sundays but because we knew people you know people through our group and through serving and you know worship one and serve one and that's what made the difference for us. I'll never forget the first time we pulled up into Paul and Lorraine's driveway and, and we didn't know Paul and Lorraine didn't know what they looked like only heard their name, didn't have a clue. And we pulled up into their driveway and Paul walked out of his front door and walked up to the truck and, you know, greeted us. And I'll never forget that experience. And my guess is, and that's the only body life group I've been to, but my guess is that that's probably what every other body life group is about. It's not intimidating. I would just say if you want to challenge, just like Mike challenges us every sermon, to, to be better Christians, to reach a little deeper, to be more like Christ would want us. I think you're going to get that at Body Life Group. You're going to be able to meet people that you love at the end of the day. They're going to be Christians. They're going to be like faith. And so if you want a challenge, just reach out to Body Life Group. We'll reach out to you. Awesome. There's a first-hand account. They're just just members just going through this process, trying to, trying to find that encouragement, trying to be that encouragement. Let's talk about the, the second element fortification. There needs to be a fortification of our, of our walk if we're going to make it in this shaky, crazy world. Because again, this church was going through persecution, but somehow they were, they were staying on. So the very first thing Barnabas does is he steps in and encourages them. What does he encourage them with? He encourages them there. If you look at verse 23 again, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and with steadfast purpose. Faithful steadfast, committed, grounded, not shaken, not moving. Listen, I know real life comes. I know sicknesses abound. I know marriages struggle. I know people lose jobs. The last thing you want to do is pull out when you need to be buckling down. And the only way you're going to make it in this shaky, crazy world is going to find something that's going to make you stronger to get through life as life is poured out on you. I like the way the message paraphrases that, that exhortation of Barnabas, urging them to stay with it the rest of their lives. Stay in there the rest of your lives. I get texts. I had a text today. I had... Uh, I get texts daily, I get phone calls, I get emails. I have conversations with people who are struggling with just life. I got a text this week and talked to the person again in detail in the first gathering, before the first gathering, about a real temptation that was gathering in around him. He didn't go looking for it, it came looking for him. You know the first thing he did was he texted about five guys from our body, from our family of faith. He got with two or three of them. They prayed together. They got together. They worked through it. And to this day, he told me, he says, it's not resolved yet. He says, it's still looming out there. I could still stumble into it. He says, but I'm stronger. I think I can handle it now. 
He could only do that because he had the relationships. He was stronger because he was with the body than whenever he was alone. Listen to some of these verses, Acts 16, 5. So the churches were strengthened in faith, that's quality, and grew daily in numbers, that's quantity. They were both quality and quantity, stronger church. No longer be infants, not like this imagery. No longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. They're blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the uh, by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's exactly what happens to a lot of Christians. They're just tossed back and forth, back and forth. And I have a story I want to tell you in a minute, but let me read Colossians chapter 2. It says, Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith. Now, why does he say this in Colossians? Why does he say this in Ephesians? Why does he say this in Acts? Why is this all strong and purposeful? Because here's what happens. When you leave the safe confines of this room and you go back out and you get back in that family car, the argument that left off will pick up. The issues that you left at the job will be there when you get there tomorrow. The temptations... They'll be stronger tomorrow probably than they were today. You're not going to make it on your own in this crazy world unless you are fortified and strong. I'll tell you a story of a little boy or a young family who was having their second child. They had a three or four-year-old little boy. He was expecting, they were now expecting it, a little sister. The little sister comes. The little boy goes to the hospital to be able to see his sister the day after the birth for the first time. And, of course, mom and dad are a little nervous about little bouncing, crazy three- or four-year-old boy. And how is he going to handle it? So they gave him all these instructions before they ever handed him the baby. He wanted to hold the baby, so he sat down in the chair, and they, they got him all prepped. They got him leaning back, and dad was right there ready to catch the baby if something were to go uh, wrong. And, and so they handed the little baby girl over to the baby brother, and... He held it and he looked up and down and he looked at the fingers and he looked at the toes and he made his little immature three or four year old little remarks and then he hands the baby back. And, and then he said this as mom and dad asked, what do you think about your little sister? She says, well, I like him, but her head's loose. And, um, you know, in the Christian life, I like you. But some of your head's loose, all right? And you're bobbing around a little bit. You put you out in the world and you're going to get gobbled up and chewed up. You need to be strong. You need to be fortified. You need to, you need to have some backbone to you. Teenagers in this room, good night the temptations you're facing today. The struggles that you're before you today. Now we as adults, we just grow up and mask them and just come, come a little bit more sophisticated with them. Sometimes our parents can't even help our children to become stronger because we're weak ourselves. You need a church. You need to be part of a body that will make you become a fortified believer that also will bring encouragement. But number three, will also produce a, a reproducing faith inside of you. Reproduction is the third word that I see here from Barnabas. As Barnabas is there and this man full of the Holy Spirit, he begins to lead the church. And there's many people who become followers of Christ. Listen, here's the reality. Healthy believers produce healthy believers. 
real Christian faith is not a self-absorbed, I feel good, we feel good, all God's people feel good kind of faith. It is a reproducing faith. If I'm not reproducing my faith, then there's something wrong. There's something awry with my faith. Jesus made it very clear when he called his first disciples in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. He said, if you follow me, I will make you what? Fishers of men. It's a promise. If you follow, I will make. If you don't follow, if you just play the game, if you just mask it, if you just pretend it, then it's not going to happen. But if you're really following me, there will be other people who will come to the faith because of you. I know it's scary to share our faith, but when you look at what happened in this scattering of the disciples, you find a beautiful picture happening here in verse 24 as uh, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith in verse 24. And a great many people were added to the Lord. See, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, there will be people who come to faith in Christ. Just like if you're following Jesus, you will become fishers of men. There is a natural process. If I'm healthy, I'm helping other people become healthy. If I... This is what evangelism is, which scares a lot of people. It's one beggar helping another beggar find bread. That's all it is. It's me helping someone far from Christ come to faith in Christ. When you look at this passage and you find that this church, it's interesting that when you go back up to verse uh, 20, uh, verse 19, because many people believe between chapter 8 and chapter uh, 11, there are 10 years that happened. Now, a lot of things great happen. Paul, because Saul becomes a believer in chapter 9. Cornelius becomes a believer, one of the first Gentiles to become a believer in chapter 10. So there's a lot of great things that happen. And so I'm not trying to skip past that. But also what happened when the church was scattered, part of the church went to Cyprus. Part of the church went to Phoenicia. Part of the church went to Antioch. But it's interesting. When you find then in the very next verse, somewhere something happened in that 10-year period of time that the believers, the brand new believers of Cyprus, because you read this in the very next verse, they go to Antioch. So here's a lesson for us. Every believer, I don't care if you're 10 years young or, or whatever, you need to be sharing your faith. You need to be helping other people come to faith in Christ. If you're not fishing... Here's a life principle. If you're not fishing, you're not following. Jesus said, I will make you. If you follow me, I will make you fishers of men, reproducing your faith into other people's faith. I challenged you last week with $10. A lot of y'all took the challenge. We got cards here. If you didn't put your card in, you could turn it in. You can go online and fill it out, whatever. We're going to be posting them all week long. There's going to be more stories coming in. I'm looking forward to it. You took the challenge. 52 days ago, I gave you a challenge. Do you remember that one? 52 days ago, I asked you to identify, to invest in, to invite, and to intercede into somebody who's far away from God or far away from the church. Identify, who is it? Invest in them. Get that relationship equity built up. Then invite them. Invite them to become a part. Be a part of the marriage conference next weekend. Whatever it is, invite them to the church, a safe place, and then intercede for them that they would come to faith in Christ. One last word. I've mentioned four words here. The last word I want to give you is the word time. Time. 
It takes time to be a strong church. It takes time to be a healthy church. The best way to spell love is T-I-M-E. I know you've heard that before. Time is like a slow cooker that softens the heart, that enables you to become a true follower of Christ. It takes time to be a devoted follower of Christ. Time to mature. It takes 40 days, somebody said. It takes 40 days to grow a squash. It takes 40 years to grow an oak. God's in the oak business, not the squash business. All right? I, he said in Isaiah 130, you shall be like an oak. God wants you to be strong in your faith, growing in your faith, deepening in your faith. And that's going to take time. What do you see in verse 26? You find in chapter 11, verse 26, and when he had found him, it was Saul, Barnabas went to get Saul, brought him back to help with the work. And he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. Barnabas wasn't rushed. It took time. What you're going to need in your life is you're going to need meaningful relationships. And you're going to need time in that. And you're going to need time spent with God. Time and meaningful relationships. Eric's going to talk to you in a few moments as he closes out our service today. He's going to talk to you about, I would say four, but actually one closed literally in the last service. We got three new groups that we're going to be starting in the next few weeks. And how could you be a part of one of our new body life groups that's starting up? Maybe you feel led to start a group. I don't know. We need more groups. We, we have more and more people coming in. So what is it going to be for you? You need those relationships. Eric will talk about that. Let's talk about time with God, though. You need time with God. You're not going to become strong in your faith if you're not spending time with God. Here's a few things to jot down. Number one, set time with God. When are you going to be with Him? Find the time. Make the time. Schedule Him like an appointment. And don't back out of it. Find a place, place in your home, place in your living room, place in your bedroom, outside under a tree, at a park. I don't care where it is. Just find a place and get with him. Spend time with him and set a plan. Set a plan. What is the plan going to be? Say, well, I I don't know what to do. I I mean, I got a Bible, but I I don't know where to go with it. Get the YouVersion Bible. They have their own. It's a free app on your phone. Look at it. There's all kinds of Bible study plans. But let me tell you some of the most basic how many days does it take to break a habit? 21 days. 21 days is what it says to break any kind of habit. It also takes 21 days to develop a habit. Start with the Gospel of John. It'll take you 21 days to read through a chapter a day. Just read a chapter a day and get to know Jesus in the most intimate gospel of them all. You don't know what to do after that? There's 31 days in, in many months. Read the Proverbs. 31 Proverbs. Read a proverb a day. Just spend time. Spend time, have a plan, have a place, and be with Him. Pray when you're there. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Just talk to God like you're talking to me. You don't know what to pray for? Pray for me, all right? I need the prayer and you need the practice. So just pray for me if you don't know what to pray for. Today's October 6th. If, if it consistently shows to be true, tomorrow will be October 7th. Uh, you're thinking, thank you, Captain Obvious, for that. Um, I don't know where you were on October 7th, two, uh, 2001, but I know where I was. 
I was nervous. I was sweaty palmed. I was standing at the front door wondering if anybody was going to show up. It was in October 2001, on October 7th, that we launched Grace Point Church from Reagan Elementary School, and we didn't know if anybody was going to come. Now, we started meeting as a group July 1st. So for three months, I call it our pregnant months. We were pregnant, we were growing, we were developing, but we weren't a church We were just talking it. We were just preparing it. We were just trying to get our arms wrapped around it. We were getting ready for October 7th. We set October 7th as the due date back on July 1st. That's how intentional we were about it. We had no clue what was going to happen. We were going to throw a party and we didn't know who was going to show up for the party. And... Some people, some new church planners have come to me and asked me, Mike, okay, we're starting a church. What do I need to do to start a church and all that kind of stuff? And I tell them our story and it may work for you. If it's in your gun, shoot it. If it doesn't, then do your own thing. But I don't have a magic plan. I don't have a magic bullet. But here's what I did. And for three months, from July to October, I shared from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, then Acts chapter 2. Then Acts chapter 3. Because I figure if we're going to be a church, let's go back to the beginning. Let's try to get it right from the beginning. And let's let that be our paradigm. Let's let that be our line. Let's let that be our true north. And let's try to become a church like that. What have we been doing for the past two and a half months since being in this building? We have been looking at the book of Acts. This is highly intentional. This building is not Grace Point Church. We didn't have a building for five years. You are Grace Point Church. You are going to be the ones who are going to be the church or we're not going to be the church. And on that day, whenever I was waiting, are people going to show up? People showed up and we have been inching along ever since then. And here we are today. But you know what? When you come back to our starting line, you know what started us? It was the the book of Acts and the way the church was in the book of Acts. And here we are maybe. Let's say we're right here on the continuum. And here we are today. What are we doing? We're going back to the very beginning. The ethos that started us is the ethos that's going to keep us going. It's the foundational core beliefs and values that got us going. So what's going to happen? down here will be determined by what happens right here. Because we got here because we had a a group of people, much like you, that were ready to be a church to the unchurched. Ready to be a church to those who had given up on the church but hadn't given up on God. So what are we going to be tomorrow? It's up to you and me. A man met me out in the foyer It's been coming to the church for just about a year now. After this service, he was in the first service. He came up to me with tears in his eyes. He said, Mike, thank you for starting Grace Point. Because before coming to Grace Point, it had been 45 years since I had last been in church. 45 years. 45 years. Maybe it was 45 days for you. The point is this, is I want to be a church that the lost world outside looks inside and says, I want what they've got. In verse 26, and I'm through, in Antioch, 
The disciples were first called Christians. Up until this time, they were called the way. They were called the disciples. They were called uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. They weren't called Christians by the church. They were called Christians by the unbelieving world out there. Listen today, I'm not going to ask you if you're a Christian. I'm not going to ask you if you've made a decision joined a church. I'm going to ask you, what do your lost friends around you, your friends that are outside the church, what do they say about you? Do they call you a Christian? That was meant to be an insult, but it became a compliment. They called them little Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Be real still for a moment. Don't allow thoughts to chase away the voice of God. What's he saying? Are you a part of this church? Are you a part of the body of Christ? bringing encouragement, bringing fortification to people's souls? Are you part of reproducing the faith into the lives of other people far, far away from God? That's what it means to be the church. Are you given the time you need into relationships? Given the time you need into your own relationship with God? I want to pray for us. And I want us to really just open ourselves up right now that if you're not a follower of Christ, if you've not been born again, don't call yourself a Christian. Don't don't lie to your soul. Let the Spirit of God bear witness in your spirit that you're a child of God. May the world look at you And because of the fruit that you're bearing, because of the love that you're sharing, may they say, you must be a Christian. Father God, you are our cornerstone. You're our sure foundation. Lord, this church is built on the rock of Jesus Christ. This sure foundation. This church is moving forward against the gates of hell. Because of you, Jesus, we are becoming, we are moving, we are not there yet. We are wanting you to change us, to make us, to move us from where we are to who you are. Make us like you. Make it us like you so much that when the world looks at the scriptures, when the world looks at Jesus, they see us. They see alignment. They see sameness. They see a replication of you, Lord. Be our cornerstone right here, right now. In Jesus' name we pray.